Thank you, folks. Appreciate that song. Beautiful song. Well, Pastor Gash, thank you very much for the for just the privilege and honor to get to preach tonight. And uh, we're very thankful for that. Very kind of you to allow me to uh, stand behind this pulpit and uh, get to minister the Word of God this evening. And it is a joy to be with you here tonight. I hope that you had a good day today and trust that the Lord will meet with us tonight and that he would encourage our hearts in our faith and uh, trust that we would honor him and as we, as we journey together and serve the Lord. All right, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter number 14 tonight, Numbers chapter number 14. What we're going to be reading this evening is a very, and we're just going to be reading a couple of verses of scripture. What we were reading is a very sad part in the history of Israel. Um, this is what I might call the ultimate no uh, from God, an ir irreversible no. Um, that would be heard for 40 years. You see, unbelief is not neutral. Um, unbelief is not your friend. It's actually your enemy. And as a matter of fact, God does call it evil. Um, it has been said that unbelief is the parent of all evil. From, from unbelief comes all evil. And if we allow unbelief to dominate our hearts, it will lead us into some evil places. And so I hope and pray that tonight would be a help to us to prevent maybe some things that are going on in your life personally that maybe you're drifting away from God. And, and maybe you don't even sense it. Maybe you don't see it. And so I, I hope that tonight that we'll be able to just um, take an inventory of our life and our heart and, and trust that the Holy Spirit will uh, reveal to us some areas in our life that need correcting. Verse 22 and verse 23, again, of Numbers chapter 14. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Father, we ask that you'll bless our time together tonight. I'd ask God that your Holy Spirit would reveal the unbelief that may be in our heart, that you would expose it so that we may repent. And God, help us, Lord, to honor you tonight with faith. And may we be renewed in faith tonight. We thank you for what you'll do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, on, um, on occasions, car dealerships, uh, they run promotions to try to get customers into their dealership. I, I think one of the more popular promotions uh, with dealerships, uh, and maybe, maybe not now, but years ago, 
was mailing you a car key indicating that if this key starts the car that they're giving away, it's yours to keep. And uh, maybe you've received something like that in the mail. Now, what I typically do, and probably what you do, is with those promotions that you find the nearest trash can and you throw it in there. <laughs> Why? Why do we do that? Well, because we just don't believe it's true. We are convinced that it's a gimmick uh, to get you to visit their dealership so they can sell you a car. Well, several years ago, uh, we had some friends whose older teenager uh, son received one of those keys or somebody in the family did. And, um, and that, of course, that, that they mailed that key to them and, and they were giving away uh, a free car. You know, if this key fits that, the ignition of the car and starts the car, the, the car is yours for free. And from what I remember the story, the son was really excited uh, to get that uh, key in the mail and, uh, and thinking that this key could maybe start that car. You know, hey, I'd be, I'd be the owner of a brand new car. Now, of course, uh, his dad uh, had some, maybe some doubts about it and concerns about it. And, and uh, so, you know, he, he didn't want to disappoint this, his son. So they, they went ahead and went to the car dealership just to humor him. <laughs> So they showed up to the car dealership and uh, they take them to the car and he puts that key in the ignition and it turns and to their surprise and excitement, the car starts. <laughs> he became the proud owner of a brand new car, minus the tax, obviously. <clears throat> now, simple faith is what compelled him to take a chance at winning a car. It wasn't a guarantee, obviously, but his simple faith motivated him to go, and it paid off. Now, unlike this offer that wasn't a guarantee and wasn't a for sure thing, the promises of God, on the other hand, are guaranteed and are certain if we have faith. <laughs> I love what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33 says, who through faith obtained promises. If you want to obtain promises... <laughs> You got you to access them by faith. So what happens? What happens when we as Christians don't choose to trust God and walk by faith? I, I really believe that we will miss out on God's best for our life. You see, the Christian life was only designed to, only designed to be lived out by faith. Three times the scriptures uses this exact phrase, the just shall live by faith. That's how we're to live. We're to live by faith. Anything less than faith would be a colossal failure. Anything less, it will be a colossal failure. To not live by faith, and I really want us to understand this, to not live by faith is to willfully forfeit all that God has intended for us. Our life becomes fruitless, pointless, powerless, and useless. If you look at your life and you can say, my, my life is just fruitless, it's pointless, it's powerless, it just seems to be useless. Could be that you're just not walking by faith. You know, we just begin to just exist in life, not really live. Yeah. Now, this life of unbelief, 
will resemble the, the children of Israel's wanderings in the wilderness. You know, they were actively moving. This is after, of course, this incident here. And they were actively moving around, but never going anywhere. Psalm 78, verse 33 says, Therefore their days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble. This is the result of deadly faith or unbelief, I should say. It is the result of deadly unbelief. Now, to our shame, there has probably been many times that we've missed out on God's best for our life because we have failed to push out fear and disobedience and put our trust and faith in God's word. Well, in the message tonight, I hope to show you two things from God's word that I hope will help. The first is, is to clearly show that how there are negative consequences in choosing to doubt instead of choosing faith in God. So you might say, I, I can't help myself. I'm, I'm just a doubting person. You know, that just seems to be my nature. Uh, you know, you, you might have claimed at times I'm Thomas's twin. You know, I don't know, jokingly saying that. But maybe you do, maybe you do have a personality that leans towards doubt. Or, or maybe it was the way that you were raised that makes it difficult for you to believe or to trust. But what we need to understand is that God gives us all a measure of faith. And from that measure of faith, God helps us grow greater faith. Amen. Just as the disciples asked the Lord to help them increase their faith, we can too. So we really don't have an excuse Faith is built and anchored in the nature and the character of God. The better that you know God, the greater our faith will become. Now, the second thing that we, we are going to learn from God's word is how our day, doubt, that is, and our unbelief are, and this is what I really want us to understand too, is that our unbelief is grieving and very offensive to God. Did you know that it is an insult to God for us not to trust the all-trusting one? <laughs> now, the vivid, vivid example of, of faithless living comes to us from the children of Israel during the, the time period of when they journeyed through the wilderness. <clears throat> this story illustrates for us the <clears throat> severe consequences in having an evil heart of unbelief. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me briefly set the stage of our text here. In chapter 14, the children of Israel have been traveling for a long time since leaving Egypt. They are now are Kadesh Barnea, which is the border of the promised land. They're getting ready to enter the land. But before they are to cross the border, uh, border of Canaan, into Canaan, that is, Moses sends out scouts to spy out the land. He says, I want you to check out everything. I want you to check out the land. I want you to check out the inhabitants. I want you to check out the cities. Check it all out. And I want you to bring back a report. <clears throat> 40 days later, they come back. Numbers chapter 13, verse 25 and 26 states that they came back after searching that land and gave their initial report. And immediately after they gave that, their initial report, Caleb says, and I love his spirit, what are we waiting for? Basically this, what are we waiting for? Let's go on in and possess our land that God's given to us. Well, unfortunately, as you know the story, the majority allowed fear to dominate them because of what they saw. The fear was so intense that it clouded 
their judgment and it exaggerated what they saw. And that's what fear does. It exaggerates. It blows things out of proportion. And the Bible says in Numbers 13, 32, that they gave an evil report. And from there, things begin to spiral down with the congregation. Chapter 14, we find in that verse, few, few verse, verses in the beginning, they, are, they were now determined to go back to Egypt. We're going back. We're going to get a captain. We're going to go back to Egypt and, and we're going to stone Moses. We're going to stone Moses and Caleb and Joshua and Aaron. And just in time, God appears. Then we find here in our text, verse 22 and 23 of chapter 14, God's final and tragic pronouncement to this older, faithless generation. He basically says to them, you are not going to be allowed to enter the land that I promised to your fathers. You are disqualified to enter. And this obviously was not the first time that they had offended God by disbelieving in him. God had mentioned that he, they had tested him or tempted him 10 times since leaving Egypt. This is very significant. What does it mean to tempt God? Well, Webster says it means to try to prove, to put to trial for proof. Tempting God is rooted in disbelief and doubt. When we doubt God, we put on trial the character of God. In essence, the children of Israel were saying to God, prove yourself to us. We need some proof to know that you really love us. Prove it, God. We don't know if you really care for us. Prove it to us, God. We don't know if you can answer our prayers. Prove it to us, God. We don't know if you can provide a table in the wilderness. Prove it to us, God. We don't know if you're really with us, if your presence is with us. Prove it to us. Prove it to us that you are really reliable and faithful and loving and dependable and caring. Prove it to us that you're really with us. Well, their unbelief was so deep and so persistent that all of the mighty acts and all of the miracles of God done in Egypt and in the wilderness couldn't change their heart of unbelief. They just wouldn't allow the past Mighty acts of God convinced them that God could deliver them in their future. Incredible. Now look at what God says to Moses in chapter 14 in verse number 11. He actually asks himself two questions. You know, only God could answer his questions. (laughs) He says this. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? How long? And how long will they ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed unto them? And they kept on asking, show us, God, prove it to us. They were tempting God. See, God knew the answers to his own questions that he asked. God knew that they were not going to stop disbelieving him. How much more, and you think about this, how much more could he do to prove to them who he was? 
and who he is. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, and it states that in order to please him, we, we must believe that he is. He is what? He's faithful. He's loving. He's caring. He's present. He's good. He knows what's best for us. So as we approach God, we must believe he is. God gave them chance after chance to trust him. He performed miracle after miracle to show them his power and faithfulness and love. But this was not enough because they stubbornly, stubbornly refused and rebelled to choose to believe him. What more could God have done? I mean, he gave them everything that they needed to trust him, but they chose not to. Matthew Henry puts it this way. They tempted his power, whether he could help them in their difficulties. They tempted him in his goodness, whether they whether he would be good to them. And they tempted him in his faithfulness, whether his promises would be performed for them. As a matter of fact, on two different occasions. They questioned God's reliability of his power and his presence. They questioned God. The first was, and I mentioned a little bit ago, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Psalm 78 verse 19 says, And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They slandered God and they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Sure. God can provide manna, but can he provide a feast for us? Why couldn't they just be content with what God gave them to eat? (laughs) Because they didn't trust him. They were complaining about the manna. They were sick of the manna that they were eating, and they wanted to eat meat. (laughs) How many times do we get upset because of our manna? And we get maybe mad at God. God, what are you doing in in my life? Or why can't things be better for me? And we're asking for meat. When God says, you need manna. They didn't need the quail. No, they they, they didn't. They, They needed the manna. That's what they needed. They were just so, they were so disrespectful towards God and unthankful. They didn't think that what God was providing for them was good enough. The second thing that they questioned God had to do with him being present. In in Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, and he called the name of that place Meribah because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, how, how could they, how could they ask that question? Is the Lord among us or not? I mean, God had had provided them time and time again. God had led them by a cloudy pillar by day and a a pillar of fire by night. How could they ask, is the Lord among us or not? He's there. Open your eyes. But they couldn't because they were blinded because of their unbelief. They could not see. They could not see God. They could not see his power. They could not see his love. They could not see his grace in their life because of their unbelief. You know, had the children of Israel really trusted the Lord, God who truly loved them and cared for them and wanted the best for them, the end result would have been totally different. But they didn't. 
The Bible says that when they got to Kadesh Barnea, they doubted one too many times and they missed God's best. God basically said to them, I gave you many chances. And because you refuse to believe me and have tempted me 10 times, you are not going to be permitted to enter into the promised land. Very sad. You know, they had great potential. They had great, a great future. But because of unbelief, they threw it all away. There is certainly a danger for us to do the very same thing and doubt God in the very same areas that the children of Israel did. Now, when God mentions the 10 times being tempted, we are able to group those 10 times into four categories, four categories of tempting God. The first area that they tempted God in was his ability to deliver. And this is the first occasion where they tempted him. It was at the Red Sea. You see, unbelief will cause panic in a stressful situation, while faith causes peace in a stressful situation. You see, the Israelites experienced a stressful situation when the Israelites were trapped between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, and there was no physical escape. They instinctively cried out to the Lord and then at the same time complained to Moses. And this is the sad thing. Even though they cried out to the Lord, they had no confidence that God would or could deliver them. They didn't believe it. They quickly forgot the past miracles in Egypt and angrily accused Moses of tricking them by leading them into the wilderness. And they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Then Moses shares some really encouraging words. He says, fear ye not. (laughs) Fear ye not. Stand still and see. And see with your eyes the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. I mean, and then how an amazing thing this was that God does and parts the Red Sea and they walk through the Red Sea and they saw with their eyes, but it didn't affect their hearts because they had unbelief. Why does God allow us to be put in some stressful situations (laughs) so that we might grow in, in our trust of him to know that he can deliver us? Don't doubt God. Now, we understand that being a Christian has no guarantee that we won't experience hard times like natural disasters and 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 crime or uh, uh, car accidents or poor health. But what we are assured of is that nothing will happen to us outside the allowance of God. This is why David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, what he's saying, there's going to be times this is unavoidable. He says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Why don't I have to fear? Because God's with me. If we, if, and this is it, if we allow fear to overtake us, it will. If we allow that fear to, to take us over that, through that unbelief, it is going to wreak havoc in our life. 
It might even get so bad that we fear everything in life to a point where we just can't function in life. Fear is very paralyzing. Mentally, mentally, you're allowing, you're always under a dark cloud waiting for that next shoe to drop. <laughs> waiting for that next terrible thing to happen. You're fearful about your children's safety. You're fearful about your grandkids' future. You're fearful about your future. You're fearful about your finance uh, and finances in your future. Fearful about maybe dying for your faith. Living under this constant cloud of fear is something that God never intended for us. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to have fearful moments. Be not afraid of sudden fear. Don't allow that fear to take over. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. If we expect to function in life with the Lord, we can't be afraid to live life. He has the ability to deliver us if he chooses to. Now, our ultimate deliverance comes on the level of our spiritual life. Um, we're sealed into the day of redemption. We're secure. If we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we are sealed. We're secure. We're saved and safe. And we, we have that spiritual, that hope of that spiritual deliverance. A hundred years from now, more than likely, 99% of us will be dead. <laughs> That's comforting to know. <laughs> and this is the thing all your worry didn't keep it from happening <laughs> we might as well just trust God and know that he can deliver us from any situation in life if it's his will we just trust him another category where they tempted God was in the area of God providing for them you see unbelief will doubt God's care while faith will believe God does care you see, did you know that six of the ten times that they tempted God had to do with food and drink? Six of the ten times. They must have been Baptists. I don't know. <laughs> there are times that they didn't have food and there were times that they didn't have drink and there were times that they griped because they didn't have the right food. <laughs> know this, that a heart full of unbelief will fill a mouth full with griping and complaining. Why would God allow them to suffer in these areas? To prove them. Right. To prove it. Moses said in Deuteronomy 8, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna. Why? That he might make thee know Personally know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. <laughs> he wanted them to understand that true life comes from the living word of God. What God says is true and you can, you can live on that. God's word is reliable and trustworthy. And so he exalts his word and says, this is what gives you life. Even though he had allowed them to suffer some, he wasn't going to let them starve to death. He even took care of them during that 40 years. All of the hardships and the difficulties and the uncomfortable moments were all designed that they experienced. They were all designed to seek God and to have faith in him. That's all, they, all those things that they experienced. 
So they would see his faithfulness and his love and his power and his glory. But instead of trusting him, they doubted him. They questioned him. They just didn't think that God was taking care of him. So we need to remove unbelief from our heart because it will drive you away from God thinking that he doesn't care. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminds us how valuable we are. He cares for birds. <laughs> he cares for his creation like grass. He, he, he'll, care, he'll care for you because why? You're of greater value, as the scripture says. You're valuable to God. You are his child. You are, a re, you are redeemed. He has redeemed you. He, he made you his own. and he, he will provide for you. And we can rest and to know that God is going to take care of our daily sustenance. So don't tempt God by thinking that he isn't taking care of you because he is. Another category where they tempted God was when they doubted his presence when he was silent. Now, unbelief will cause us to replace God while faith will cause us to run to God. In Exodus 32, things were silent for a while. Moses had gone for 40 days. He was gone for 40 days receiving the commandments. The people were unsure. They became unsettled. And they didn't think he was returning. This silence caused them to believe that God wasn't present. In, and so in their unbelief, they went to creating their own God that would deliver them. And it's sad in verse number four of, of Exodus 32, it says this, these, as Aaron made this golden calf, he says, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. What tragic. How tragic. And it was an insult that these golden calves is what delivered them. The works of their own hands had delivered them. You know, there are times in our life, in our Christian life, it seems that God's silent and distant. It seems maybe God isn't answering prayer for deliverance or that God isn't giving clarity and knowing what to do. Or it seems that God seems to be unconcerned about allowing difficult situations to continue in your life with seems seemingly no re result or no relief in sight. We can't tempt God by saying that he isn't present because he's silent. He is with you. He is with you. Trust him. Not your feelings. Don't trust your feelings. They fluctuate. They'll lie to you. Satan will, will deceive you into thinking that God has left you or God doesn't care. There's a reason. There's a reason why you're going through what you're going through. You just need to trust him. We may not, you may not understand. You just need to trust him. And then the last category where they tempted God was in the area of doubting that God could use them to get the victory. You see, unbelief will create self-doubt while faith causes God confidence. <laughs> 
to the spies, they came back, and this is, of course, in our story here, uh, in the context, the spies come back from their mission, and they, uh, they're given their report, and they started out with good news. You know, I mean, what God says about the land that it flows with milk and honey, it is true. They even bring back some evidence, a huge cluster of grapes, and then they followed up by saying, nevertheless, <laughs> the people being strong, that dwell in the land and the cities, their wall, their great, very great. Moreover, the children of Enoch, which are giants in the land, they're there. And when they shared this negative news, there may have been some sighs and groans and outbursts of wailing. I, I don't know. But Caleb jumps in and tries to steer them back to reality and tries to quiet the people. And he just shares with those encouraging wor words, you know, let us... Let us go up at once and possess it. And this is what he says, for we are well able to overcome it. <laughs> I love, he overcome it. You know, the it is the obstacle. Whatever the it is in your life, whatever that obstacle is, God is able to overcome it. <laughs> and we just need to trust him with whatever those it's are in our life. Why could Caleb say that they were well able because his confidence and his assurance and his faith rested in God. And the reason the doubters says we are not able to, to, to do this is because they were operating in unbelief. And when we think that it's up to us, fear will dominate. Elizabeth Elliot said this, fear arises when we imagine that everything depends on us. Then there's another, there's other times that we believe that God can do it, but we struggle to believe that God will use me or that God will uh, deliver me or that God will help me in that situation. We believe God can do it, but I don't think he'll do it for me. Have you ever said, you know, <clears throat> how can God really use me? I'm so inadequate. I don't have any ability. I don't have any talent. I don't have any personality. <laughs> there are people in the Bible who had self-doubts. And God shut them down. <laughs> Moses. He struggled to believe that God could use him. He argued with God. God. Uh, you know who you're talking to, God? There was Gideon. Felt unworthy. I mean, because... Of his pedigree, he basically said, I'm the least of the least. <laughs> why, why choose me? Then there was the father in Mark chapter 9 that came to Jesus on behalf of his son who needed to be healed because he was possessed with a foul spirit. Jesus said to him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the father cried out, and he said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. What was he saying? I believe you can, you can, God, but I'm doubting that you'll do it for me. Why would you do it for me? How many times have we limited God because we, it, we just didn't believe that God could use us and that we felt unworthy to be used?
or that he would do it even, again, for us. If we think this, he'll do it for everyone else except me or I don't feel worthy. If we think this, we fail to understand the true meaning of grace, which is based in the merit of Jesus Christ and the goodness of God. It isn't, it isn't you, it's what Christ has done for you. Why did the children of Israel have such a hard time believing God? <clears throat> the very same reason we do. They chose to believe themselves rather than choosing to believe God. We must let go of self-reliance and trust God. We must give up control and trust him and his precious word. This is why that even after seeing the miracles and the incredible works of God, they still couldn't bring themselves to trust and let go. This is why they still fear. This is why they felt that, that it was up to them. And that's why when they saw what they saw in the land of Canaan and they came back, we can't do this. Because they realized, in that, and that was the right attitude to have. They couldn't do it. But that's where it stopped. Caleb took it further and says, yes, but with God, we can do this. I want us to close out this evening with just reading, look over in Hebrews chapter 3. <clears throat> the connection here, Hebrews chapter 3. And how it applies to us, you know, we look at the children of Israel that and, and, and see, and there's a lot of truth that we can find. In verse 7, it says, Wherefore, as the, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if ye will hear his voice, as he's guiding you, listening to his, listening to his voice, harden not your hearts. Don't, don't allow unbelief in your heart as in the provocation of the day of temptation of the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. For us, this is the message. Take heed. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. We need to take heed. We've got to take heed. This unbelief can creep in into our life if we're not careful. God wants us to be victorious. He wants us to have that victory. He wants us to understand that there's more to accomplish. There's more to do in faith. We just got to do that. So when God calls us to do something, he's the one who will do it for us. He is the one who will give us the strength and the grace to get it done. And in the end, he's the one who will get all the glory. God, it was because of you. So will you, by faith, will you, by faith, take possession of what God has for you? 
Or will you spend your days going in circles? Will you have faith? Will you trust God in a greater way? As we bow our heads and stand to our feet, opportunity for you and the Lord just to do some business. Maybe there's some areas in your life where it might be that you're just doubting. How can God do this? Father, we ask that you would take this invitation, that you would be glorified through this, and that, that we, Father, would renew our faith, that we would remove the unbelief Remove those areas in our life that maybe we're just doubting you. God, would you help us? Help us to see those things. Help us to recognize those things and that we may repent of the unbelief in our heart. We certainly don't want to depart from you. We want to stay close to you, Lord. And you are honored. You are pleased when we just trust you. So help us, Father, to simply do that. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Page 451, Trust and Obey, as Brother Aaron leads us in our invitation.